Please join me in prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in thy sight, for thou art our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite hymns, and perhaps yours too, is Abide With Me. How many people know that hymn, Abide With Me? All right, a good number of folks. If you don't know the, um, the words, the tune will probably bring back uh, familiarity to you. Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. It's a haunting tune. We don't use the phrase or the word abide very often anymore. And yet this, re- this stays with us. And our translation of the gospel passage today retains the word abide because of its precision in the English. Abide is different than stay. It's different than live. It's something altogether different. And it's one of those rare words where... The English, at least that older English word, actually retains all the meanings of the original Greek word, which was mena, mena, to abide. Think about how we might use it today. We might say, well, I will abide this, right? Which is a different usage. It means I'll tolerate it. I'll get along with it. But the three primary uses of the word abide both in the English and the Greek, are these. Number one, to be stable or to be fixed. To be stable or to be fixed. Right? So someone who abides in their house is someone who's been there a long time. Secondly, to sojourn with. To sojourn with. To travel with. To abide with as someone goes on a journey. And number three, to wait, to await the arrival of, to await the arrival of. That's the third use of abide, to look expectantly for someone. All of these meanings come together in today's gospel reading. And so I invite you to open up to Jesus' words in John chapter 14, verse 15. It's in your scripture insert, but uh, if you want to open your Bibles, um, it's John 14, verse 15, and you'll see some of the context of what's going on here. This passage of John's Gospel is part of a much larger passage. It's part of a passage where Jesus is with his disciples, and they've had, they're having the Last Supper, rather, And it starts back in John chapter 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet 
and he gives them a new commandment. So this is John chapter 13, verse 34, preceding today's gospel. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And so Jesus' new commandment here becomes the foundation of the Lord's Supper. Usually when we celebrate Monday Thursday, which we didn't this year, we read that passage that Jesus has given us a new commandment. That's where the term Monday Thursday comes from, a new mandate. Love one another as I've loved you. And here in today's gospel, Jesus is calling us to abide in that love. To abide in that love. And that's the first lesson. It's in the first half of the first verse we get this lesson from Christ. And if we're not careful, we'll overlook it. Look what Jesus says at the very first line of today's gospel. If you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Well, that's not today. How did I grab the wrong bulletin? That's not right. You're probably scratching your head saying, yeah. All right, John 15. Sorry, we're further along. John 15, the very first line of John 15, verse 9. Jesus teaches the first lesson about abiding. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So notice what comes before Jesus tells them to abide. A declaration. A statement. Jesus says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Do you see the first action here? The first action is on God's part. To abide in his love, Number the first step is to know that you're loved. To know that you're loved. To know that as God loves Jesus, so Jesus loves you. And that's really important because everything that follows here is a response to that love rather than an action that we take for ourselves. We hear this again and, and again. It's throughout the epistles, it's throughout the gospels, that it's not... ...bring things to the table so that we can be loved. It's quite the opposite, that God loves us first so that we act in response to his love. You know, it's interesting to me that little children get this innately. Maybe you've observed it too. When you're around little children, you know that when you show them love, they respond in love, right? Typically. There are the exceptions. But when you show them love, they respond in love. One of my favorite things to do with my daughter, Bridget, is um, once in a while I'll be able to sit in the rocker right before I put her to bed. And she'll climb up on my lap and sometimes she'll sing and sometimes I'll sing her a lullaby and sometimes she'll just kind of babble on. But it always ends up with her laying her head on my chest. And as sweet as that is for a father, how much sweeter is it for her, though she doesn't even know it, 
to be able to lie and, and rest completely peaceful in security on her father's chest. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That is the first type of abiding. To abide in God's love in that same way. To respond to His love with our love in that way. To lay upon His chest and to rest. To be fixed. To be stable. To be secure. Knowing that He loves us. That's the first type of abiding. Jesus, the Son of God, loves us like that because He gives this imagery here in the Scripture that as God loves Him, and you think as we might love our children, if we have children, or if we can imagine that, as we might love our children, how much more does God love His Son? Right? And then He says Jesus loves us like that. So don't miss that in the first half of the first line here. That, that this is the image that Jesus is giving his followers. That the first step to abiding with God is just to be in his presence as a Christian. Because as a Christian, you have that kind of abiding presence of God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 16, St. Paul writes this. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we call Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so if you've been baptized, you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and you have the very presence of God within you. You have this abiding in you. But are you aware of it? Are you embracing it? Are you resting in it securely? So the first step to abide is actually not to do anything. We always think of doing something, but this is actually to not do anything, save be aware that you're loved. The Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. You know, that's one of the hardest things for us to do, I think. I don't know if you've noticed it in your own life, but in my life, it seems like I'm always rushing from one thing to the next. And phones and technology has just made it worse. Sometimes I'll take my cell phone and put it in the basement. I'll be honest with you, because I'm so tempted by it. Or I'll put it in the kitchen and just plug it in and turn the sound off and whatever. If there's an emergency, someone will get a hold of me some way. Abide. Abide. Be fixed and stable in His presence. Secondly, abiding in God is sojourning with God. Traveling with God. This is a little bit different. And it comes after you embrace the first type of abiding. It's to walk along with Jesus. The idea here is the same idea that we see in John's Gospel where Jesus is risen and on the road to Emmaus, he's, um, he's walking along with his disciples. It's abiding on a journey. One of my favorite films is Lord of the Rings. It came out uh, when I was in college, and so um, 
it's always stuck with me. And my, one of my favorite characters in the Lord of the Rings trilogy is Samwise Ganji. And Samwise, for those of you that don't know the books or the movie, is the loyal friend that's constantly with Frodo, that goes with him literally to the brink of hell to accomplish his mission. And his virtue is his loyalty. He goes with Frodo to the ends of the earth. That's the second kind of abiding. Look at verses 10 and 11 in our Gospel passage today. Jesus continues, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. In verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than someone lays down his life for his friends. But notice preceding that in verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So Jesus here is talking to his disciples, knowing that he's on his way to the cross. Okay, that's the context here. And he knows that they're all going to abandon him. All save John and the women. And Jesus here is telling them that if they keep his commandments, they'll abide in his love. What he's telling them is if they continue to journey with him to do what he has told them to do, they will abide in his love. Well, this is a little bit different, right? So what's Jesus saying here? Journeys can be of all different types. Sometimes journeys are actual geographic places, right? That's the most common way that we think of it. And indeed, Jesus sends the apostles to the far ends of the earth, carrying the gospel as, as witnesses to him. All but St. John die a martyr's death and go through horrific ordeals to be faithful to Christ and his commandments. And we all know the stories of the great saints and evangelists who have gone around the world spreading the gospel in obedience to Jesus' great commission to love one another, to take, teach, and baptize because we want other people to have what he's given us. We know those stories, but there's also another call here, and that's to sojourn with Jesus in your internal life. To sojourn with Jesus in your internal life. That's different, right? That's different than going to the ends of the earth or even going to your neighbor and evangelizing. That's journeying with Jesus in his commandments in what he wants you to be, in who he wants you to be, right? You see, our culture tells us the lie that somehow we know what we want to be and somehow what we want to be that we know will get and achieve and be happy and self-actualized and, well... How many people are walking around that have attained that? None. Because none of us actually knows what we've been called to be outside of God. But God knows who he created you to be. He knows what perfected version of you 
He created you to become. Whatever that perfected version of Sean is, I don't know, but he does. And the same is true for you. And part of abiding in his love is following him in his commandments. We know what he's commanded us to do. We know what is good. We know what is right. We know what is holy. And so he says, abide in my commandments, right? So that might be traveling geographically, but it also might be traveling and transforming, changing, changing those things within you that are not of Christ, that are not of the sanctified person that he wants you to become. And so Jesus bids us, abide in me, sojourn with me this way too. When he says, if you keep my commandments, you abide in my love. And one of those commandments, of course, is to love our neighbors as ourselves, which he models upon the cross. And the epistle takes further. We love because he first loved us. The third type of abiding is an abiding that we talk about during Advent in the church year, but don't talk about as much otherwise. The third type of abiding, I think, could be the hardest type. It's waiting upon the Lord. Waiting upon the Lord. Now, all Christians are waiting upon the Lord. Think about it. How are you waiting upon the Lord? How do we all have that together? Well, we live in this weird age where Jesus has died on the cross, risen again, and ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. But we live in that weird age right between that line in the creed and the next one. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Right? And so we're awaiting Jesus to return. To return. He's ascended, and he will return one day as he's promised to us as he's promised us. But that's the hardest type, I think, of waiting. If you've got a prayer book, open up to Psalm 130. It's on page 446. And somehow my prayer book disappeared from the pulpit here. Is there one over there, David? Father, thank you. those pesky Lutherans using their own pulpit. Look at page 446, Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6. We read this. For there is mercy with you, the psalmist says, therefore you shall be feared. That's verse 4. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits for him. In his word is my trust. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And then there's an admonition. O Israel, trust in the Lord. And so that's the the third type of abiding. This psalm captures it. Waiting for the Lord as the watchman waits for the morning. You know, part of the legacy of growing up under good preaching is that things come back to you. And as I was reading this psalm, a sermon from Father Gene from my childhood came back to me. He preached on this psalm. 
and he described what this was like. He said, the watchman on the wall looks out and watches for invading armies. But at night, he can't see as far. And so the evading armies can get within range of their weapons. And so you really sweat it out when you're the watchman on the wall waiting for the morning because you have to be eagle-eyed to make sure that that enemy army is not going to come invade the city and you can't see as far. And so the idea here is as the watchman waits for the morning, as he desires for the light to come so that his shift is over, so that he can once again see, so are we to wait upon the Lord as the watchman waits for the morning. There's an old English word um, that goes along with this, and it's the word tarry, T-A-R-R-Y. It's this specific type of waiting and expectation. Tarry, to tarry upon the Lord, to watch for him. And so this is the third type of abiding that Jesus wants his disciples to do, and us, in our time, to watch for the Lord in expectation, knowing that he's going to return. But then there's a personal application to this too. And that is to wait for the Lord in your own personal life. How often do we get ourselves busy and turned all around because we're not waiting for the Lord? We, don't, we know what the commandments are. We have our relationship with Him. We're in His presence. We're following Him. But we come to a turn in the path, and rather than stopping and waiting for the Lord, we rush on one way and make a mess of things. It's happened to me many times. That's this third type of abiding, is stopping and waiting on the Lord. And so, both on the large level, we wait his return, but on the small level, we wait his word to us in the next step. All Christians are called to abide in this way. Philippians, in Philippians, St. Paul writes this, chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. And so Jesus bids us abide in my love and love one another. Abide, friends. So in conclusion, ask yourself, and not in a condemning way, but ask yourself, Where do I need to abide better? Where do I need to abide better? I guarantee there's some way that you need to abide better. There's some way that you need to abide in one of these three ways. Are you taking the time to be fixed in the love of the Lord? To recognize His presence? To notice how much He loves you? Notice it's not something you do, but it's something that you have formed within you times of prayer, times of reflection, time for worship? Are you taking the time to metaphorically crawl up into your Father's lap and encounter Him that dearly? Are you taking that time? 
to be fixed in his love. If not, why not? Why not? What lies in the way? He loves you that much. Number two, where is God calling you to abide with him in a sojourning type way? It's true that he's always with us, everywhere. If you've been baptized, you have that guarantee. The Holy Spirit's within you. Yet, Jesus tells us to abide in this way also. Ask yourself, am I allowing God to show me the way? Am I seeking to follow him in his commandments in every part of my life? Am I obeying his commandment rather than my desire? We prayed in our collect of the day today that the joys that he gives are so much more than we can desire. Are we seeking that? Are we abiding and sojourning? And number three, where is God calling for me to wait for him? Are there things that I'm exhausted by? unnecessarily struggling with or pushing because I'm pushing things in my own strength and not waiting upon the Lord? Am I abiding in Him in those ways? And if not, why not? Do I fear that somehow that task or that thing won't get accomplished if I don't do such and such? Do I really think that God's not in control of this? Right? Wait upon the Lord. Abide in the Lord. Sit with Him. Journey with Him. Wait for Him. Friends, let's reflect on these questions. And as we abide in Jesus' love together, let us remember that the promise to us is that if we abide in Him, our joy will be full. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.